Hello, fellow saints, and welcome back to Come Follow Me with Brother T. We are going over Moroni chapters 1 through 6 today. And these chapters are short in terms of verses, but deep in doctrinal and procedural content. In fact, in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, I write a few things more that perhaps they may be of worth unto my brethren. Now, up to this point, Moroni had been given the records abridged by his father Mormon. And we're told in Doctrine and Covenants section 5, verse 27, For the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you on the earth, and with Moroni, whom I have sent unto you to reveal the Book of Mormon, containing the fullness of mine everlasting gospel, to whom I have committed the keys of the record of the stick of Ephraim, the stick of Ephraim being the Book of Mormon, and Moroni was committed those keys, so he became the authorized protector of that record. We know that he added what we know as chapter 8 and 9 of the Book of Mormon, which chronicled the death of his father and the destruction of the Nephite civilization. He also shared some doctrinal advice and then abridged Ether's record of the Jaredites. Finally, he buried the plates in the Hill Cumorah until he was commanded to show himself to Joseph Smith Jr. in 1823. And then he came back each year until 1827 when he gave the plates to Joseph for translation after which he then showed the plates to the three witnesses. He retrieved those plates from Joseph Smith after the translation, and presumably he has them now. So these last 10 chapters of the Book of Mormon are Moroni's parting advice to us today and to the Lamanites as well. We'll start with chapter 1. Obviously, Moroni lived longer than he had expected. In fact, if you do the math on it, it's about 36 years after the final battle. And in verse 2, he talks about how the Lamanites and the Gadianton robbers are warring with each other and are looking to destroy anyone who will not deny the Christ. And I love Moroni's response in verse 3. He says, And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. Wherefore, I wander whithersoever I can for the safety of mine own life. Think about how lonely this is for Moroni. He is the only one who believes in Christ and has been told flat out that he will be killed if he does not deny the Christ. So he's wandering from place to place all by himself, carrying this record, trying to preserve the record that his father abridged and the things that he's added to it. And this is what Sister Susan W. Tanner said, I realize that many of us also at times feel without friends and alone in a wicked world. Some of us feel we have not whither to go as we face our trials. But you and I can not only survive but prevail, as did Moroni, in our efforts to stand for truth in perilous times. What did he do when facing a lonely and hostile world? He, in faithful obedience to his father's direction, finished the records on the gold plates. He became familiar with the writings of the prophets. Above all, he fought his way out of his discouragement by clinging to the Lord's promises for the future. He clung to the covenants that God made with the house of Israel to bless them forever. In verse 4 we read, Wherefore I write a few more things contrary to that which I had supposed, for I had supposed not to have written any more, but I write a few more things that perhaps they may be of worth unto my brethren the Lamanites in some future day according to the will of the Lord. Here again, the Book of Mormon was written for us today to convince us and the house of Israel that Jesus is the Christ and to convince the Lamanites that they are of the house of Israel. In fact, one of the first missionary calls we hear about in this dispensation was to Oliver Cowdery in Doctrine and Covenants section 20 verses 8 through 10, where he calls him to serve among the Lamanites and to proclaim and preach the gospel through the Book of Mormon. 
In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, The words of Christ which he spake unto his disciples, the twelve whom he had chosen, as he laid his hands upon them. Joseph Fielding Smith said this book, the Book of Mormon, also tells us that our Savior made his appearance upon the continent after his resurrection, that they had apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. The same order, the same priesthood, the same ordinances, gifts, powers, and blessings as we enjoyed on the eastern continent. While in every instance the Nephite Twelve are spoken of as disciples, the fact remains that they had been endowed with divine authority to be special witnesses for Christ among their own people. Therefore, they were virtually apostles to the Nephite race. Now, this is important because Christ in his mortal life and then also when he left and talked to the children of Israel who had been scattered, including the Nephites who were on the American continent, taught and emphasized the importance of ordinances. And so what does Moroni do here in these next few chapters? He talks about these ordinances that are so important that he knew would be lost and that he knew there would be questions about in the future. Remember, he's seen our time. President Boyd K. Packer, president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles at the time, explained why ordinances are so important. He says, ordinances and covenants become our credentials for admission into his presence, meaning the presence of the Lord. To worthily receive them is the quest of a lifetime. President Packer also explained, good conduct without the ordinances of the gospel will neither redeem nor exalt mankind. Covenants and the ordinances are essential. Dallin H. Oak said, The ultimate Latter-day Saint priorities are twofold. First, we seek to understand our relationship to God, the Eternal Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and to secure that relationship by obtaining their saving ordinances and by keeping our personal covenants. Second, we seek to understand our relationship to our family members and to secure those relationships by the ordinances and by keeping the covenants we make. These relationships, secured in the way I have explained, provide eternal blessings available in no other way. No combination of science, success, property, pride, prominence, or power can provide these eternal blessings. Furthermore, Elder Bednar said priesthood ordinances and sacred covenants are essential in this ongoing process of spiritual rebirth. They also are the means God has appointed whereby we receive his exceedingly great and precious promises. Ordinances that are received worthily and remembered continually open the heavenly channels through which the power of godliness can flow into our lives. Covenants that are honored steadfastly and remembered always provide purpose and the assurance of blessings in both mortality and for eternity. For example, God promises us, according to our faithfulness, the constant companionship of the third member of the Godhead even the Holy Ghost, that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, we can receive and always retain a remission of our sins, that we can receive peace in this world, that the Savior has broken the bands of death and was victorious over the grave, and that families can be together for all eternity. So let's look in chapter two, how Moroni sets up the importance of these ordinances and what we need to do to prepare to receive and to perform these ordinances as priesthood holders. In verse two, he says, and he called them by name saying, ye shall call on the father in my name in mighty prayer. And after ye have done this, ye shall have power that to him upon whom ye shall lay your hands, ye shall give the Holy Ghost. And in my name, ye shall give it for thus do mine apostles. So first of all, we need to call upon the father in mighty prayer. 
And then if we do so, he will give us the power for us to lay our hands upon others to give the Holy Ghost. And this is done specifically for those who are bearers of the Melchizedek priesthood. In chapter 3, he talks about ordaining teachers and priests. And this is what President Joseph Fielding Smith said about this kind of priest and teacher. He said that the Nephites officiated by virtue of the Melchizedek priesthood from the days of Lehi to the days of the appearance of our Savior among them. And it is true that Nephi consecrated Jacob and Joseph that they should be priests and teachers over the land of the Nephites. But the fact that the plural term priests and teachers were used indicates that this was not a reference to the definite office in the priesthood in either case, but it was a general assignment to teach, direct, and admonish the people. So what did they preach, and what should we preach, and how should we preach? Verse 3 says, In the name of Jesus Christ I ordain you to be a priest, or if you be a teacher, I ordain you to be a teacher, to preach repentance and remission of sins through Jesus Christ by the endurance of faith on his name to the end. Amen. So we are to preach of Christ. We are to preach about the plan of salvation and remission of sins through the atonement of Jesus Christ, and then enduring to the end. In verse 4, it says, And they ordained them by the power of the Holy Ghost, which was in them. This is what the prophet Joseph Smith had to say about this. He spoke of the role of the Holy Ghost in performing ordinations. We believe in the gift of the Holy Ghost being enjoyed now as much as it was in the apostles' days. We believe that it, the gift of the Holy Ghost, is necessary to make and to organize the priesthood, that no man can be called to fill any office in the ministry without it. We also believe in prophecy, in tongues, in visions, and in revelations, in gifts and in healings, and that these things cannot be enjoyed without the gift of the Holy Ghost. Chapters 4 and 5 talk about the sacrament. These are the sacrament prayers. And a good exercise as suggested in the Come Follow Me manual is to write down from memory the prayers of the sacrament and see what you personally emphasize by what you remember. And then go back and see what you may have missed and look at the things that you should focus on and learn and and pick apart in these prayers. Elder Bednar said, Through the ordinance of the sacrament, we renew our baptismal covenant and can receive and retain a remission of our sins. In addition, we are reminded on a weekly basis of the promise that we may always have His Spirit to be with us. As we strive to keep ourselves clean and unspotted from the world, we become worthy vessels in whom the Spirit of the Lord can always dwell. I'd like to take a few moments to just break apart this prayer just a little bit. O God, be eternal Father, we are praying to our Father in heaven. We ask thee in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. So we are praying in the name of Christ, just like all prayers, to bless and sanctify this bread. So we were asking him to bless it and then also to make it holy, to make it something more than just a loaf of bread. To the souls of all those who partake of it, we are those souls. We are the ones who are striving to improve ourselves, to let our souls be masters over our bodies. That they may eat in remembrance of the body of thy son. So we're doing so in remembrance of the body of the son of God, of Jesus's body that he laid down, that he sacrificed completely so that he could atone for our sins and then also lay down the path for resurrection. And witness unto thee, O God, the Eternal Father, that they are willing to take upon them the name of thy Son. That is what we covenanted with in baptism, was to take upon us his name. 
Elder Oak said, Our witness that we are willing to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ has several different meanings. Some of these meanings are obvious and well within the understanding of our children. Others are only evident to those who have searched the scriptures and pondered the wonders of eternal life. One of the obvious meanings renews a promise we made when we were baptized. Following the scriptural pattern, persons who are baptized witness before the church that they have truly repented of their sins and are willing to take upon them the name of Jesus Christ, having a determination to serve him to the end. When we partake of the sacrament, we renew this covenant and all the other covenants we made in the waters of baptism. As a second obvious meaning, we take upon us our Savior's name when we become members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. By His commandment, this church bears His name. Every member, young and old, is a member of the household of God. As true believers in Christ, as Christians, we have gladly taken His name upon us. As King Benjamin taught his people, because of the covenant which ye have made, ye shall be called the children of Christ, his sons and his daughters. For behold, this day he hath spiritually begotten you. We also take upon us the name of Jesus Christ whenever we publicly proclaim our beliefs in him. Each of us has many opportunities to proclaim our beliefs to friends and neighbors, fellow workers and casual acquaintances. A third meaning appeals to the understanding of those mature enough to know that a follower of Christ is obligated to serve him. By witnessing our willingness to take upon us the name of Jesus Christ, we signify our willingness to do the work of his kingdom. In these three relatively obvious meanings, we see that we take upon us the name of Christ when we are baptized in his name, when we belong to his church and profess our belief in him, and when we do the work of his kingdom. Continuing on in the prayer, and always remember him and keep his commandments which he has given them. So we are supposed to always remember him, and we're supposed to keep his commandments, just like Elder Oaks just taught us. And then here comes the blessings for doing all that, that they may always have his spirit to be with them. President Irene said this, My message is a plea, a warning, and a promise. I plead with you, to do with determination the simple things that will move you forward spiritually. Start with remembering him. You will remember what you know and what you love. The Savior gave us the scriptures, paid for by prophets at a price we cannot measure, so that we could know him. Lose yourself in them. Decide now to read more and more effectively than you have ever done before. So President Irene gives us the advice of studying the scriptures to help us always remember him. The prayer over the water or the wine in the Nephite case is very similar. The promises are the same. The difference is, is that it's a remembrance of the blood of the son, which the blood represents his eternal sacrifice. It also represents mortality and laying down mortality, because when we are resurrected, we will no longer have blood. And then in chapter 6, we talk about baptism, which he probably wrote about the sacrament and thought, well, I didn't talk about baptism, so I'm going to go back and add that in there as well. Verse 1 teaches us that we need to have fruit, meat, to be worthy of the baptism. Verse 2 says, Neither did they receive any unto baptism, save they came forth with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and witness unto the church that they had truly repented of their sins. What does it mean to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit? President Ezra Taft Benson explained that it is the same as godly sorrow, which is a deep realization that our actions have offended our Father and our God. It is the sharp and keen awareness that our behavior caused the Savior, he who knew no sin, even the greatest of all, 
to endure agony and suffering. Our sins caused him to bleed at every pore. This very real mental and spiritual anguish is what the scriptures refer to as having a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Such a spirit is the absolute prerequisite for true repentance. And Elder Bruce D. Porter said, When our hearts are broken, we are completely open to the Spirit of God and recognize our dependence on Him for all that we have and all that we are. The sacrifice so entailed is a sacrifice of pride in all its forms. Like malleable clay in the hands of a skilled potter, the brokenhearted can be molded and shaped in the hands of the Master. Those who have broken a heart and a contrite spirit are willing to do anything and everything that God asks of them, without resistance or resentment. We cease to do things our way and learn to do them God's way instead. There is yet another dimension of a broken heart, namely our deep gratitude for Christ's suffering on our behalf. When we remember the Savior and His suffering, our hearts too will break in gratitude for the Anointed One. As we make the sacrifice to Him of all that we have and all that we are, the Lord will fill our hearts with peace. He will bind up the brokenhearted and grace our lives with the love of God. Verse 3 says, We take upon the name of Christ having a determination to serve Him to the end. So we need to endure to the end and be His servants to the end. In verse 4 it says, And after they had been received unto baptism and were wrought upon and cleansed by the power of the Holy Ghost, they were numbered among the people of the church of Christ. And I love that phrase, wrought upon and cleansed by the Holy Ghost. And wrought upon implies an improvement over time or a process. And this is from the Institute Manual. It says, The atoning sacrifice of Christ makes the remission of our sins possible, but it is through the cleansing power of the Holy Ghost, the baptism of fire, that sins are actually purged or removed. It is also through the workings of the Holy Ghost that we gain the enabling power of the atonement to help us become faithful Latter-day Saints. It goes on in verse 4, And their names were taken, that they might be remembered and nourished by the good word of God. Um, Let's talk about nourished for a second. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland said, Inspired instruction in the home and in the church helps provide this crucial element of nourishing by the word of God. Surely the opportunity to magnify that call exists everywhere. The need for it is everlasting. Fathers, mothers, siblings, friends, missionaries, home and visiting teachers, priesthood and auxiliary leaders, classroom instructors, each is, in his or her own way, come from God for our schooling and our salvation. In this church, it is virtually impossible to find anyone who is not a guide of one kind or another to his or her fellow members of the flock. Let's keep going in verse 4. So we are nourished by the good word of God to keep them in the right way and to keep them continually watchful unto prayer, relying alone upon the merits of Christ, who is the author and the finisher of their faith. Now, it's easy to understand how Christ is the author, but what does it mean to be the finisher? It could mean that he just didn't quit, but he did his work. In fact, when he was on the cross, what he said was, it is finished. It can also mean that he finishes us like a final waxing or polishing. In other words, he completes or perfects us. Elder Holland said, Most people don't come to church looking merely for a few gospel facts or to see old friends, though all of that is important. They come seeking a spiritual experience. They want peace. They want their faith fortified and their hope renewed. They want, in short, to be nourished by the good word of God, to be strengthened by the powers of heaven. Verse 5 says, And the church did meet together oft to fast and to pray. 
and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. And this is a hard one right now. We've been commanded to meet together off yet with COVID restrictions we are not allowed to. And we can get into a whole conversation about the legality of that and also the safety of that. And we're not going to do that in this podcast. But think about the ramifications that it's had upon us and not being able to meet together oft. However, even though we're not allowed to meet together in person oft, we can still speak to one another concerning the welfare of our souls, as it says at the end of verse 5. And we can also do this in verse 6, and they did meet together oft to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sacrament can still be made available to members in their homes. And even though it's not the same thing, it is important to remember that we are still part of the body of Christ and that we will meet again. And I hope that when we do get the chance to meet again, that we will appreciate it a little bit better. Regarding to meeting together as a church, Elder Christofferson said, I realize that there are those who consider themselves religious or spiritual and yet reject participation in a church or even the need for such an institution. Religious practice is for them purely personal. Yet the church is the creation of him in whom our spirituality is centered, Jesus Christ. It is worth pausing to consider why he chooses to use a church, his church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to carry out his and his Father's work to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Verse 7 is a plea for us to avoid iniquity, and also a warning that if we engage in iniquitous behavior, and refuse to repent and confess our sins, and that we're called out upon it by the elders of the church, that we are in danger of having our names blotted out and to lose our membership in the church of Jesus Christ. But verse 8 gives us the assurance, but as oft as we repent and seek forgiveness with real intent, we will be forgiven. Regarding verse 9, Elder David B. Haight said, The singular tragedy of the Nephite decline as recorded by Mormon in the Book of Mormon was the loss of the Holy Ghost and the spiritual gifts. Wisdom and inspiration dictated that Moroni include in his closing record the instructions by his father Mormon on the ordinations, the sacrament, and practices of the church. Noteworthy is this testimony about their meetings. Their meetings were conducted by the church after the manner of the workings of the Spirit and by the power of the Holy Ghost. For as the power of the Holy Ghost led them whether to preach or to exhort, or to pray, or to supplicate, or to sing, even so it was done. That is the spirit that can and should characterize our worship and our sacrament meetings. Brothers and sisters, we are so blessed to have the spirit in our lives and to have the church that allows us to perform the saving ordinances necessary to qualify us for the spirit and to qualify us to return to live with our Father in heaven and to partake of eternal life. It is my testimony that Christ is our Savior and that this is his church upon the face of the earth, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We have prophets and apostles today who help and guide us and lead the church in righteousness. And I know that to be true, and I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to reach out at drjaredthomas at gmail.com or send me a text at 916-412-2136. Thank you and have a blessed day.